Hi everybody, this is Eric Chevalier with Bearing Point and uh, you're listening to 5 Minutes Ahead. Um, today I have the pleasure to have with me Alex Gibson. Uh, Alex, how are you doing? How are you Eric? Good to hear you. I'm, I'm doing okay, thanks. So Alex, um, today I wanted to talk with you about the metaverse and, and what we, we are perceive uh, together. But first, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, yeah, so for people who don't know me, I'm uh, working in an academic context. I'm the head of digital marketing at Technological University Dublin, where I oversee uh, undergraduate and postgraduate courses in the broad area of digital marketing. We, we also run executive education courses. Uh, prior to working in the marketing function uh, academically, I had spent a long time in the tourism and hotel uh, faculty. And my industry experience uh, involves working with companies uh, such as uh, Holiday Inn, Nabisco, and a company that I know will be very familiar to you, Eric, uh, namely Danone, uh, the French multinational food, uh, food, food group. Um, I've had particular interest for more than a decade now in augmented and virtual reality, uh, particularly how they interact with uh, marketing. Uh, I've been uh, researching and writing in that area and also uh, produce and curate uh, an annual conference called ARVR Innovate and uh, delighted to be able to say that uh, Bearing Point are, are working with me as a gold sponsor this year. So that's something uh, very much to look forward to uh, later in the month of May. Okay, so I, I, I guess, Alex, I, I don't need to ask you whether or not you have experience in the metaverse or in, in metaverse-like experience. What, what, can you, what can you tell us about what you think of what's happening and what are the trends you're observing in that field? Yeah, I mean, my experience goes back a long time. Uh, I suppose when we talk about how we conceive the metaverse today, we can actually see the genesis of the idea going back into Second Life, which I, I'm sure some of the listeners will be familiar with. I certainly was and spent a bit of time in, uh, in Second Life. In fact, my alter ego, which was called Lucan Ulysses, I think he still levitates above the famous virtual Irish pub uh, in, uh, in the Second Life environment. And that certainly piqued my interest in the idea of um, working in, in a parallel uh, universe, as it were, to the real world, this concept of being able to work uh, and move in, in a cyber uh, manifestation, namely an avatar, and interact with people in real time who maybe shared a similar interest. At that stage, it was, I, I guess, not drinking real Irish beer, for which I would thoroughly recommend people try, but it was the social dimension and also the fact that there was live music uh, in, the, in the event. Fast forward to, I suppose, the last couple of years uh, in my academic uh, work, I've taken a keen interest in how um, virtual spaces can be used for sharing information, for learning. I think the COVID experience in particular uh, was a real catalyst for me with my own students. So, for example, uh, we moved from working in Zoom and Teams, which we still would with, with, with students and, and other virtual learning environments. One of the biggest successes I had in the early days of, of uh, COVID was working with some of our first year groups in a platform called Mozilla Hubs, where people could, uh, students could um, make presentations on virtual screens, show their PowerPoints, and they could be in a virtual amphitheater. And they were able to, as it were, move around that virtual amphitheater, see groups in different areas presenting to each other. And that was a real eye-opener for me in terms of the power of this. And perhaps one of the most surprising things, Eric, was just how people used or played within the metaverse was a surprise to me. To me, there was a little learning there in the sense that, yes, a lot of it replicated what you were trying to do in, in education, maybe not quite as well, but also students 
really did engage with the fun side of this. So, for example, a lot of students were uh, very enthusiastic about creating different types of avatars for themselves, or they were very often to be found flying or levitating around the lecture room or writing graffiti in the air. And at one level, when I talked to students about this, they said it was just something that was really uh, a refreshing change from their their lived experience working and studying and living most of their lives in a sm small bedroom on a two-dimensional screen. And I think that that lesson of, you know, how we interact with each other in, in the digital environment, how it can be much more if it's migrated to a 3D context, really st uh, stuck with me and, and has, has led me to continue to look at how the metaverse can be used and what are the appropriate contexts and who's using it at the moment and, you know, where, where, where are we seeing immediate opportunities and returns and, and we probably get to some of those in our conversation i guess I, I we will we will but first let me ask you this do, do, do you think that they were learning better or, or, or rem remembering more stuff by working like this or it was just the fun part of it and being able to fly over and tag uh, things on the roof that was the the the, the major topic for them what, what what's your yeah, take that, on that? that that's a good question obviously there's a lot of academic research around this going back some of it going back 40 50 years some of people listening may be familiar with uh, edgar dale's cone of learning this idea that uh, you learn by doing better than you learn by reading or you learn by observing and I, I could see that to an extent with the students i mean we didn't do anything very scientific in terms of assessing them but my conversations with them were quite interesting in that they did say to me things like I really felt engaged I felt I could focus on the activity there weren't as many distractions as I might have had if I was for example just looking at uh, the the desk the, the the desktop in a, in another context now I, sh I should say Eric that most of not all but most of the students were experiencing that in on desktops they did they did not have VR headsets but some did and the, those who that did in particular, would have told me that they really found it it was a great way to focus on a particular learning point or activity mm. we it, it uh, it's true what you're saying and i think that uh, we, we are using this as a reference when we talked about when we talk about training with our client is that actually the the time effectiveness uh, when you're doing training if you start with a two-hour training on a classroom you will achieve the same kind of level with the knee training in 45 minutes and actually, if you do a VR training, you will reach that in 29 minutes. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys... And the fun part of, of that is that the emotional connection to the learning content in classroom or in e-training, if, if you have a, a, a rate that is between four and five, let's say, which is roughly uh, what we have, in VR training, it reached 20. So it's four times better in terms of, of the yeah. connection you have with the training. Yeah, we, we didn't do that type of research, but that, that echoes what, what I've heard. I mean, a quick question for you, Eric. Do you, do you see a distinction between training and education? Because we lump them together very often, but I, I think there's a difference. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that training can be specifically around um, encouraging people to enhance their skill sets in certain areas or uh, processes, for example, whereas education may be more directed at knowledge sets. And that in, in, in a lot of academic contexts, a lot of the focus has traditionally been around education. I see what you mean. Yeah. Actually, we are, 
the way we are looking at it is, is a lot broader than that because being education, being learning or being change management, it's about what, how people interact and what they learn or how they remember the positive of that interaction and what they take from it. And, and so when we are talking about uh, interaction in a metaverse-like experience, being one or the other, what matters is, is the level of interaction you have with your pair and, and what you, you, you take out, basically. And, uh, and, and therefore, then we decline it different, in different formats or different content or, or, or different uh, appellation. But at the end of the day, we are convinced that at the heart of it is what happens between people and the connection that you made there with the content. Yeah, that, that I agree with. And do you, are, are you seeing that yourselves in terms of where, for example, at the moment I'm working on some initiatives with students around uh, making them better at oral presentation skills. So we're working with a, a software provider. And that type of training at the moment is, I suppose you might call it uh, linear and insul insular in the sense that the student is individual, even though they may be in a, a context where there are... Um, representations of avatars it's not particular dyadic or it's not particular groups and i do wonder whether if you know they, they there was more uh interaction the learning experience would be even better so with, with your clients in in bearing point are, are you finding that they're actually using um vr as a training tool where there are multiple people in the in the same 3d environment yeah, we, we, we are, and, and they're aiming at that because it's, it's what makes the richness of a, a metaverse-like experience. It's really the fact that you can have several people in the same room, in, even though it's a digital room. And what we are seeing as well, because you were referencing to the avatar earlier, is that the, 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 some client told us, when we did some research around that, that when you're using uh, avatar that are like, like, like like bot, but without a real face expression, they summarize that as being on teams without your camera. So the avatar has a real role to play in that level of interaction and, and how they connect to people because at least they can see, oh yeah, this guy, I, I, I knew him on teams and now I see him, I'm, I'm with him, even though it's a, it's a cartoon representation somehow uh, through his avatar, but it still works better. Yeah, that's one of the things I think surprises people that unless you get into that environment as I was with students or as you are with clients, until you're in that context, it's very difficult to get across the idea to people that you do have a sense of presence. You, Even though it's an avatar that you're in, interacting with over a relatively short period of time, you forget that and you in, engage in a much more natural type of dialogue with the person. But, but you know, we, we are having currently discussion uh, with... Um, with some companies around um, um, behavior training and, and in, in a context where um, they need to train their workforce because there is a lot of aggressivity uh, from coming from their client when they meet with them. So how do you basically teach people what it means or how do you interact in that kind of situation? And the funny part is that when I had that discussion with the, the client, we were both in different sites, uh, room, meeting room. We were both wearing a headset and therefore we met in a metaverse-like experience in, in the immersive lab at, at bearing point. And she was uh, one meter, one, one meter and 20 centimeters away from me. So we were like, like having a natural discussion, the two of us. And at some points, someone was as well in the meeting, put her headset on and join us in, in the experience. But that person was, was not very at ease with the controller, so basically he ended up 
right between us two facing the screen, but, but, but like 90 degrees off uh, our discussion. And she felt his presence, like, like obviously it was like 30 centimeters off our face now. And she felt it and she was like, wow, well, what are you doing? Just get out of my space, basically. That's how, uh, how you connect from an emotional standpoint and therefore you can decline a lot of behavioral training behind with that. Yeah, I mean, I notice it even in, um, even in the example I was giving earlier of where we're working with students around making uh, oral presentations that, are, that you can even in that relatively uh, one-dimensional type of training because it's, it's not interacting with other people, you can still de deduce a lot in terms of hand movements, body orientation, and that in turn can be part of the feedback loop into that particular type of uh, training. Um, Eric, I just wanted to ask you in terms of... Um, the, the current state of play in terms of metaverse, I mean, in terms of clients, I mean, my, my sense is that there was a massive hype about it six months ago, and now we're in a context where on, on two levels, one is hype, it's predictable that it will decline, the, the Gartner hype cycle tells us that, but also there's been another catalyst, which is obviously the massive rise in the last, last number of weeks of uh, interest in, uh, in, interest in uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah, I, I, I think... Well, of course, two years ago, the hype was, was high because Facebook became meta and, and therefore everyone talked about the metaverse. I think uh, like every trend or every hype, it has to be replaced by another one and generative AI is definitely a big one right now. So we don't hear much of, of the metaverse. I think what, what, what people need to understand as well is that the metaverse as is described uh, in, uh, in snow crash, like, like a, a universal digital space where we're going to be able to meet everyone like, like we could do walking down the street. It's, it doesn't exist today. And, 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 and reproducing the real world in a digital world barely makes sense. Let's put it this way. What we are seeing though, uh, and, and I see that with several clients, is that you, you basically, to, to make it simple, you have two type. Of, uh, of people. You have the one who still do not understand or, or perceive the real value that you can get behind and the one that already convinced that it has a value. And usually when they are convinced, uh, the use case are a lot more narrowed on, they, they know what they want to do and now they are more facing a question which is, okay, how do I put it at scale rather than how do I learn what it means or what I could do with it. And, and we are going to see, and, and for me, there's one trend that is becoming very clear, is that we are most likely going to see a lot more of what we call in-traverse, so within a company scope uh, of a set of experience, being learning, being showcasing a product, uh, being showcasing a place or a seat or new offices. I mean, there is many things that will come out of that, but within the scope of the company, not for, not necessarily with the public uh, outside and, and open door to everybody. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, do you think that a, a, a factor behind this is that, you know, as we move out of COVID, companies are encouraging and more open to, to travel, uh, you know, within, within the organizations, but that in turn is making them conscious of just how big the travel budget is and that they are looking for new ways of reducing that. And, and in particular, for internal meetings, that there will be more focus on this uh, introverse as, as you describe it. Well, actually, there's a combined factor behind it because I think that, first of all, we saw during COVID that we could stay home and still carry on business. That's a fact. 
we saw as well that uh, Teams was uh, was okay, but but eight hours a day on Teams or Zoom or whatever, it's it's kind of uh, annoying. So you need to have that that presence and that physical uh, meeting. But meanwhile, there's another trend that has nothing to do with the metaverse that is emerging. Is is or at least all the companies are having a strong focus on it. It's uh, sustainability. Mm-hmm. And and when you talk about sustainability. Traveling, you see that has a big, big impact in terms of CO2 and so on. Meanwhile, we are seeing as when we talk about the metaverse, that uh, it's a new device, it's a new, it, it, it has a huge impact. So it's it's seeing as as a negative uh, impact on sustainability. So the real question is how do we make sure that we counterbalance this because the world is becoming more and more digital that that's a fact we can fight against it but i, I think it's it, it will be hard to to go against that how do you counterbalance that with uh, potentially less travel or more efficient uh, communication between the team without being face to face and so on and for sure the, the last year everyone saw a jump in terms of travel cost again because people had to meet they, they were missing it how do you balance it in, in a way that is sustainable and responsible, basically, uh, on, on this topic. I don't know how much you can share with, uh, with the audience in this podcast, but you know what introduced me to Bearing Point, first of all, was a visit to your offices here in Dublin, where I was really enthralled with the work that you had been doing with, with the Leinster Rugby. And uh, I mean, that's work that's ongoing, but it's also work that you're using, as it were, as a sort of sandbox to test out some of your own theories or frameworks or some of the points that you've just made there? Well, you know, actually, the, 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 the key thing about that, and, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have a, a podcast just dedicated to that topic soon, but the, the, the main reasoning that the line star had at the beginning was to say, okay, my, my, my audience was actually coming to the stadium and generating my revenue. There are less and less, and post-COVID, it's harder to motivate them to come. And on top of that, it's an aging crowd. So instead of fighting all over the place to say, how will I get more people in the stadium? They were more, how do I bring the stadium to them, where they are currently, in, and, and in the digital? And the younger generation, that's where they are. And on top of that, the Leinster, you being in Dublin, you, you, you will... Uh, be more sensitive to that that I, that I can be, but um, basically they are fan-based. Uh, some are obviously in, in Ireland, but a lot are in London, a lot of northeast uh, US, so they don't travel to come to a game. How do you bring that to them? And I think that was really the reasoning behind. And that's why we had the Aviva Stadium, and that's why we showcased what we could do with that to test and learn with them uh, how people would, would react uh, in this kind of experience. Yeah, and I won't steal your thunder because I think you're right. It does deserve a separate podcast. So we'll give people, a, we've given people a taster of what would be really, I, mean, I know will be a very fascinating case study in its own right. I mean, Eric, you mentioned there a moment ago about, you know, that's the audience is being on digital and increasingly digital. And as we look at Gen Z and Gen Y, we definitely are seeing that, aren't we? Yeah, we, we are. I mean, I mean. I just have to look at my children and how much time they spend uh, looking at stuff on their phone. Uh, we're not talking about uh, VR or headset yet, but you know that it's a way they communicate, it's the way they interact, and it's it's usually the first contact with anything new goes through their, their phone. That's a fact. So how do you make sure you, you can capitalize on that? And 
and see uh, um, a lot of brands are currently exploring from a marketing standpoint what can happen in uh, in uh, metaverse like Roblox or things like this. It's because they want to engage them to their brand. They don't necessarily want to sell right away, but but how do you you work on the marketing side and how you touch those new generation in a in a, in a different way? Yeah, I think that's so important. This idea that you know by connecting, as you say, not necessarily in a commercial way, but in a way that's building brand trust with some of these audiences. You know, brands are. Well, the smart brands, they're, they're laying the foundation for the future. I was, I was reading that in 2022, at the end of 2022, the Roblox player count was as high as 58 million daily users. So that's, that's an enormous market that's growing up almost, you know, seeped in a 3D environment, isn't it? And that's why brands, I suppose, like, you know, Vans and Solson, Sunsilk and Spotify, they've, they've already engaged with, with the brand like Roblox to uh, work with them on, on gaming context, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. But but you said in your introduction, Alex, that uh, you, you had a focus on, on marketing. What do you think uh, the metaverse could bring um, or a metaverse-like experience? Because when we talk about Roblox, it's, it's not immersive yet it's a 2d uh, yes, uh, yes. metaverse but what's your take on on the marketing story on that well I, th I think i think you've got to look at push and pull factors here eric you know in the sense that when i talk about it as a, a sort of a, a push factor that's pushing companies like meta it's it's obviously the the challenge that they face in terms of their current revenue stream and, and you know business models around advertising so they are looking at Where's the audience likely to migrate to and, and therefore how do we play in that space? And, and they've made a big gamble, obviously a billion per month seemingly uh, for a long game that even by their own admission, you know, it's a five to ten year play. And I think that's that's important to state. I think a lot of maybe one of the reasons that we were in a hype cycle is there might have been a, a degree of naivety among some commentators in terms of how the metaverse, uh, and, and when we say they as a singular metaverse, um, might might evolve. Personally, I do think a lot of brands are going to look to uh, play in this space. The obvious ones would be some that I've mentioned who may be in the fashion space, brands that are very clearly oriented around Gen Z, Gen Y, um, uh, audiences who are who, you know who they don't need to convince in terms of engaging in the space obviously a big factor still is form factors you're, you're quite right Eric most of these people are engaging in it in a 2d context the vast majority of them but you know if we take a, a medium to long-term perspective I do think form factors like the next generation of VR headsets or mixed reality headsets I think that will be a game changer it's realistically going to take a, a time for that to happen in the B2C market that we're talking about. Uh, obviously, the B2B market, and you guys play in that space, there's a lot of things happening right now, whether it's training or, or whether it's uh, meeting spaces uh, or whether it's um, uh, you know hazard, hazard uh, training, manufacturing, prototyping, a lot going on right now. But in terms of the B2C opportunity, which is huge, it's probably a little bit away yet in terms of we need to find form factors that are going to be easier for large audiences to access, I think. Yeah, we will. And on top of that, we need to make sure that we're not creating uh, or, we're, or it's not having a negative impact from a sustainability standpoint. Back to my comment on having a new yeah. device. And obviously, yeah. if, if the mass experience is on a, on a cell phone, somehow we, we, we are conscious uh, of that. And meanwhile, we need as well to look at, 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 at will it, is it better for the planet 
to to buy uh, a skin for your avatar and therefore it's an open door for for the fashion industry typically to extend their their offering but without a negative impact on sustainability so so that there's a lot of angle here that that has to be worked on uh, yeah, combining absolutely. both uh, both topic yeah and, and we did we didn't even get into the discussion around you know the ethical or privacy and data and all of those things are just hugely important dimensions to all well, of this as well that, that's going to be a podcast on its own as for well sure. <laughs> <laughs> alex i see i see time is clicking one one question for you what do you think we're going to see because you you said earlier that uh, end of may you have the ervr innovative uh, show um that 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 uh, that's happening in dublin what, what do you think we, we will see this year and, and can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening there yeah, so first of all, uh, delighted that Bearing Point are, are working uh, with the conference this year. It's a, I think it's a fantastic partnership. Uh, I think one of the big challenges that a lot of delegates face these days, Eric, and, and I know it's something that you're very well placed to talk about, is how to move from ARV or being a pilot within the organization. So we have a lot of delegates who are in innovation labs and the like. And I think a challenge they face is taking it to the next stage, to scaling up. And I, I hope that that's something that yourself and the Bearing Point team will, will be able to give them some good advice on, I'm sure. Um, in terms of where I see things evolving in terms of the, of, of the conference, yeah, we're, we're excited around uh, the expanded nature of the conference this year. We have delegates from seven countries uh, speaking, rather, which is, which is great, including yourself coming over from, from Paris, from the Immersive Lab, and sharing your insights. Um, I think this year, for the first time in a few years, there will be a, a strong marketing panel. I do think that the marketing community are now getting engaged in this space and do see, just in line of the exact comments we mentioned earlier, uh, I, I do see that there's... There is more receptiveness to it. We've, we will have some good case studies and some speakers in, in that particular area. We have speakers from the Augmented Reality Enterprise Alliance uh, who have been regular participants, and they always run a great panel uh, in terms of how to use AR in enterprise contexts, particularly around manufacturing contexts and industrial and enterprise contexts. And those, those areas are, as you know, uh, Eric, are ones that... Um, VR and indeed AR are currently being deployed at, at scale in, in many of those big big uh, ulti uh, companies like uh, aircraft manufacturing, for example, just springs to mind, or pharmaceuticals or computer chips. Th those areas are actively using these these technologies. Um, in terms of where we're where we're gonna be in the next six months, who knows? I mean, the big topic of the conference, obviously, our big theme for most people will be how artificial intelligence interacts with these tools. And that could be another very good podcast, I'm sure, just how it's going to play out in terms of things like avatar creation, for example, virtual world simulation, a whole host of uh, natural language processing models. It's, it's just a huge topic. So I know delegates will be interested in understanding that and how it can help them maybe uh, deploy more at scale. Um, I guess, Eric, there's a huge interest. Uh, you're as well placed as I am to say, well, what will Apple do in the market? But there's a lot of interest in what Apple will or won't do or announce this year. And that, that could be really significant. Uh, you know, obviously, the, whatever form factor they release is likely to be relatively expensive, relatively niche, maybe enterprise. But the, the entry of a company like Apple into this market, I think, will be very, uh, very, very significant. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it, it, they, they, they will have a, an impact. And there's one thing for sure that we need to remember from Apple is that they never use the word metaverse, which is... That's very true. Uh, they will uh, never, no. no. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's a confirmation that, that, that 
we, we, we are talking about features or, or metaverse-like experience, but the metaverse as such, we're still a long time away from, from, from that, and, and there's a lot on the path to build uh, only within the B2B space or intraverse space, basically. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to discuss uh, in, in what's happening in the future, but also in the present. So I do hope that uh, uh, lots of people will make it their business to come and meet you, Eric, and the Bearing Point team in Dublin on the 26th of May, Friday the 26th of May, and people can get tickets, the ARVRinnovate.com. And that will be the opportunity to actually have a real Irish beer, not in, uh, in, in VR. Thank okay. you. That's so true. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex, for, for, for the time. And uh, we shall talk soon to all. Bye-bye. Au revoir.